This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day here on the podcast. Got some stuff to talk about here today. Some sad, sad news out of um, Minnesota sports. Marion Barber III found dead Wednesday in Texas. A former Gophers great running back. Um, his post-career was marked by difficulty and, of course, now... Um, the ultimate tragedy in his passing. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Some of the you know reaction from around you know around the Gophers and from around the league. And one thing that I found to be a little bit troubling in the way this is being responded to. Got to talk about the Lynx a little bit. They fell to two and eight. That is not. Uh, not getting better this year. Last year, remember, they started 0-4 and then all of a sudden immediately turned things around. This year, I don't feel like the turnaround is coming. That's a big hole to dig, so we'll get into that latest loss. And we'll get to uh, get to some Josh Donaldson stuff, the fallout from his comments, the Jackie Robinson stuff with, uh, with Tim Anderson of the White Sox. It continues because Josh Donaldson just can't seem to be quiet or get it. So we'll talk about Josh Donaldson here in a minute. But first, what did I miss? Let's start off with the Twins. Um, lost again to Detroit, shut out again by Detroit. And, you know, overall record still looks good, 30-22. and 22, But look at the lineup they put out there in uh, in Wednesday's game. A lot of guys, <clears throat> you know, either hurt on the COVID list, getting days off, things like that. Here was the lineup in this game. Leading off, Kyle Garlick, then Gary Sanchez, Jorge Polanco, uh, Gio Urshela, uh, Trevor Larnick, Jose Miranda, Ryan Jeffers, uh, Jorge uh, Palacios, and then uh, Nick Gordon. That's, uh, you know, if you're wondering why they got two hits, why they uh, why they didn't uh, you know why they didn't score a run in this game. Uh, just it's it's not a mystery when you're missing a lot of your best players. You got no Carlos Correa, no Byron Buxton in that game. No, uh, you know some of your other better hitters. You got no uh, no Alex Kirilov still not in there. Royce Lewis not in there. Um, you know you gave uh, you didn't have uh, Luis Arias in this game. A lot to a, a lot to to worry about a little bit here, especially like we've talked about with that uh, that big swing coming up against. Uh, Against the AL, against the AL East here pretty soon. You know the Twins have feasted on the American League Central this year so far. Even though they lost these last two to Detroit, they've been very good against the American League Central. I believe seventeen and ten still in the division. Um, just about five hundred outside of the division, I believe, is their record. Um, so they're going to need to take advantage of some of these games more. They really need to win today's game probably to get some momentum back to get to get themselves feeling better heading into that nine-game stretch against the AL East. But I feel like we're kind of at a, at a, at a tipping point of the season. They really need to, to kind of right the ship, get back into you know some better pitching, get the lineup going a little bit, you know, two hits, no runs. That's it's never going to get it done. Um and you know, but it's it's not a mystery. When they don't have their best players out there when they're not playing well, uh when they're not you know when they don't have a full complement of their lineup, things like that, it's gonna be tough to win. Like you know, the the team that amassed, you know, that stretch in in May where they vaulted from, you know, four and eight to the first place in the division, a lot of those guys aren't playing right now. So they need to figure out how to weather this storm and you know get some of those reinforcements back and get back to winning. 
Um, let me correct myself, too. I keep saying Ursula. It is Urshela. I don't know why I can't get that straight in my head, but it's, it is not Ursula. It is Urshela. I will try to do better on that. Let me correct myself right here and right now. Speaking of Urshela, um, as bad as the Twins have been going here lately, um, at least they don't have Josh Donaldson on their team anymore. They could not wait to sign him a few years ago, and they could not wait even more to get rid of him once they kind of figured out what he was all about. And he just kind of showed, again, that he still doesn't get it. Um, You know, we had the whole Tim Anderson stuff where he called uh, Tim Anderson Jackie in, in reference to Jackie Robinson. He thought it was an inside joke. Jackie Robinson did not think so. Uh, White Sox manager Tony La Russa said it was racist, and now Donaldson's talking about it. He got suspended for a game. He appealed the discipline. Um, and now Josh Donaldson's saying he's upset that uh, that his Yankees teammates didn't back him up with uh, with what he said. He said he's hurt by some of the things that his, his teammates said. Aaron Boone said, this is just my opinion. That's the manager for the Yankees. Just my opinion. That's somewhere he should not be going. And uh, Aaron Judge from the Yankees said, I just don't think it's the right thing to do there. And... Josh Donaldson came back and said, I think that was tough to hear for sure, just from the simple fact that I pride myself on being a good teammate and everywhere I've went, every organization I've been a, that I've been a part of, minus Oakland, has offered me extensions, has wanted me to stay. Um, they showed me that they wanted me to part, be part of the team. Obviously, it didn't work out that way, and that's just the business end of it. And also, everywhere I went, I've won. I think part of winning is having good team chemistry, and I've taken pride everywhere I've went. I've always tried to help people try to get better. Um... Okay, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, you know, I, I think there's a reason Josh Donaldson has worn out his welcome at various places. I'm not, th- I'm not saying it's all on him, but obviously his style is not for everybody. He's brash, he's confrontational. Sometimes that works, but sometimes it works against you. And here's the one from Donaldson that really gets me. He said that Tim Anderson maybe he misinterpreted uh, the references that Donaldson was making, but he hasn't had a chance to talk to him. That. Just just be quiet. Just stop digging this hole. I, I know that's not in his nature. I know that's not how Josh Donaldson operates. He just can't he can't let something go. He can't say that I was wrong. Um, I'm gonna move on from this. I'm gonna learn from this. It's gotta be somebody else misinterpreting what he said. Um he said, uh, you know, I think when it comes down to it over the last couple of years, there's been some animosity from their team towards me, talking about the White Sox, and maybe that's true. Uh, you had all the stuff last year with uh, him accusing Lucas Giolito of uh, benefiting from you know the stuff on the ball, and I I, I think that's fine. I, I think that's probably true. That doesn't change the fact that what he said was wrong, and that his own teammates aren't backing him up, and that the White Sox and Tim Anderson responded in a certain way. Sometimes you just have to say, you know what? If that many people are responding in a certain way, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I just need to stop talking and just leave it all alone, make my apology, and move on, try to learn. But I don't know if that's in Josh Donaldson's DNA. I don't think that was how he operated here with the Twins, and I think that's part of the reason they could not wait to get rid of him. And it wasn't just a straight-up salary dump. Like I said, they got Urshela, they got Gary Sanchez from the Yankees. Both those guys have had some big hits for the Twins this season, um, allowed them to to have the flexibility maybe to go get Carlos Correa, reshaped this roster into a first-place team. Would they be a first-place team if they hadn't made that trade? Maybe. Josh Donaldson's still a very productive player, still a guy that, you know, can work for you if you need that fire in your clubhouse. You know, it was kind of of fun last year when he was mixing it up, when he was, 
you know, calling out pitchers, things like that. Um, when he's, you know, when he's doing things to get under an opponent's skin, sometimes that can work. But this is not the case of just getting under someone's skin. This is a case of saying something that was blatantly wrong, and you just need to move on from it. So, I think the Twins at this point just have to be very happy that he is not part of their team because this would be an ongoing issue playing the White Sox so many times this season. Instead, he is the Yankees' problem, and that is that. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. I have Ben Gessling here today on Daily Delivery, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. You can hear Ben and I and Andrew talk on uh, Access Vikings um, during the season and during the offseason as well. And you can read all of Ben's coverage in the Star Tribune, of course, startribune.com. But uh, we're in the middle of, you know, OTA's mandatory mining camp next week, Ben. Um, you know, it's just, as we've seen the offseason go along, it feels like it's just been kind of quiet ever since they made the hires. They're installing a bunch of stuff. They're, you know, they're, that, that kind of happens once they've made the big splashes. But in your, from your perspective, what, you know, what, what has stood out to you from whatever you've seen or whatever you've heard so far here? I think the big thing for me has been the the general approach Kevin O'Connell has taken, almost kind of the the educational approach, the 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 pedag- is it pedagogy or pedagogy. I never know. The the way he teaches uh, has been interesting to watch because it has been a different approach than Mike Zimmer. There's been sort of this emphasis on we want to minimize the time on field, but we want to make the most of the time we are out there. We're not going to have you guys in these long practices. The practices that we've been at have only been about 75 minutes. So they've been fairly quick and there's been an emphasis on let's take care of your bodies. And I was even talking a little bit with Harrison Smith last night at Adam Thielen's charity softball game. And he said, you know, as you get to be an older player, it's kind of nice to not have to go on field and do as much to try to help take care of your body. So there's been that approach but it's also let's make the most of the time that we have on the field the class on the grass is what he's saying and he talked today too about when we're going to go do things let's make sure that we're not having to go back and relearn things in training camp or in mini camp or in next week's practice whatever it happens to be let's not have to rehash things and kind of spend time doing repetitive work because if we keep people off the field and we use the time to the best of our ability, it helps us mentally and physically. So there's been kind of an emphasis on a lot of install stuff and a lot of uh, kind of getting the offense installed the way they want it and the defense. I mean, really, you're switching both of those things for the first time in quite a while. So you have to make some changes there. But the fact that they are doing it with kind of a minimum of time on field has been interesting. And I think They've done some things to try to maximize that. That We'll see how it pays off, but it certainly has been a, a strikingly different approach from what we've seen under Mike Zimmer the last eight years. Well, that is interesting because you think about especially the defense. I mean, they got used to doing anybody who's been here for any amount of time, like Eric Kendricks or Harrison yeah. Smith or anybody like that. I mean, this has got to be, you know, this is brand new. That This is the only system they've really known. Or I mean, Harrison Smith had a little bit of, you know, the Leslie Frazier defense or, you know, before, before, uh, you know, before Mike Zimmer came in, but right. you know, these guys who've been in here for a long time, like this, this is brand new. Like this is yeah. and the approach and the three, four and everything like that's got to be pretty different for them. Yeah. I mean, Harrison Smith is the only guy on the defense that predates Mike Zimmer. Yeah. I mean, everybody else that's a veteran has been 
here with Mike Zimmer or was drafted when Mike Zimmer was the head coach, Eric Kendricks, Daniel Hunter. Uh, and I think we're kind of down to that really at this point in terms of the long tenured guys, Anthony Barr's gone, Everson Griffin's gone, you know, Limbo Joseph has been gone now a couple of years. So people like that, that Zimmer brought in are long gone or you're down to the very, very few. So yes, it is brand new for a lot of these players. Eric Kendricks played in three, four in college, but this is a different variation on it. I mean, everything is going to be a little different than what he has done in college or certainly what he's done under Mike Zimmer. So there's a lot to learn, but the approach has been, Hey, we trust you guys to be on top of things. We're not going to beat you over the head with extra practice time on field, but we have to maximize our time off the field and we have to come in and be ready to maximize what we do when we do get out there. So it's been a lot of that. And the other thing that he talked about today, Adam Thielen made a nice catch in the red zone, which we've seen a lot of Adam Thielen on the red zone over the last few years. He's, I think, second in the league in touchdowns in the red zone over the last two or three years, probably, I think, just behind Devontae Adams. So he and Kirk Cousins have had a lot of good things going in the red zone. He made a catch today that Kevin O'Connell said, you know, we don't really coach Kirk to throw it there, but there has to be an ownership of this scheme beyond the way we teach it. And there are certain times where, Hey, we don't coach it this way, but we give players the freedom to say, if if I'm comfortable with this and I think I can make a play this way, you have the green light to do that. So I I think that is going to be different in and of itself, especially in offense, because there's been so many times where it's been, don't do this. Don't you dare do that and go make plays or, or else within that kind of a structure. And I think there's a, a level of trust and a level of freedom. I mean, even last night, I was sitting at the softball game, uh, Kevin O'Connell was there to throw out the first pitch, threw it underhanded, by the way. <laughs> so, no, uh, you know, keeping with soft, softball. It's softball. Yeah. It's softball. Yes. And, and the catcher didn't have any gear on, but it's a former quarterback. I, I thought he could have thrown it overhand. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> he's sitting on the along the rail with Kirk Cousins. And they're, you know, I think talking about softball just chit-chatting a little bit for a minute but then it looked to me like it turned into a fairly uh detailed football conversation and and they were sitting there just kind of chatting about ideas i i wasn't able to overhear it but i was sitting close enough to kind of observe it and it was you know a lot of hey what do you what do you think about this what do you like about this you know kind of throwing ideas back and forth and even that was a pretty striking difference from where we were i mean if you think about the relationship that cousins and zimmer had the fact that it took four years and Cousins basically going to Zimmer and saying, I want to sit down and watch film with you. This stuff is happening a little bit more organically, I think, than it was. And I think they're banking on all of this working out when they get to the fall and and things actually matter. Do you, I mean, Cousins has to like some of that, but he's also kind of this, you know, I think, I feel like he likes the known a lot more than he likes the unknown in in some cases. And you know, I, I picked up on a little bit of what he talked, I think, last week about, you know, having to learn all this stuff over again and just kind of like going back to school. Where do you think he's at with more freedom, but also that translates into maybe more responsibility and more expectations to a certain degree? Yeah, I think that's right. I think it does. But I also that he had a number of things that he said in the last couple of years about either wanting more control on the offense or wanting more freedom in the line of scrimmage and that I don't think he had. And he's also talked about, I think he talked with Mark Craig last fall about how coaches sometimes have you so systematized that you're sitting out there overthinking everything. And I think part of it with cousins is he is 
whether you want to use the word people pleaser or not, I don't, I don't know, but I, he's certainly aware of what people want him to do and how he is being perceived based on those types of guidelines. So I do think if he's in a system where they say, Hey, we're going to do a little bit more of what you like, and you've got the green light to do things the way you want it. That's yes, it's freedom, but it's also a little bit more autonomy, I think to yeah. have control of what happens. And if he, if it's something that he is comfortable with and he says, this is naturally what I want to do rather than, well, I have to check that against maybe what a coach wants me to do. I, I, I think that's going to help. I think, he feels like it's going to help. I, I certainly, every sense I've gotten this year is that they think it, that his, the people in his corner think this is going to be really good for him. And we'll see. I mean, you know, a, a guy that's going into his 11th NFL season, how much is he going to change at this point? I think you're right to be skeptical about that because that's a lot of time that you haven't seen a lot of changes and the burden is on him to say that it's going to be different. But this is also one of the first times in a while that he's had a coach that seems to have some trust in him, seems to want to empower him. I, that, that's been quite a long time for him. And he is the type, I think, that can benefit from those interpersonal relationships and feeling like those are in a better spot than they were previously. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And it's just interesting. It's just new. Everything is so new with all of this, including they have a new receiver, right? Um, yep. They just signed somebody and they might be down a guy too, from what you're telling me. Yeah, they signed Albert Wilson last night, uh, former former Chiefs receiver, former Dolphins receiver, and uh, it it perhaps not coincidentally um, was alongside Amir Smith Marset, not practicing today with what O'Connell said was kind of a precautionary thing, called it a lower leg injury, and I think we we've seen him kind of walking around with uh, with a, a boot or a sleeve, but um, yeah, I, I think it sounds like he'll be back in the near future, at least from what O'Connell said today, but yeah, the timing is, is probably not coincidental. I mean, O'Connell said, well, it's a player we liked and it doesn't really have that much to do with that. But generally when teams sign players at this point, right. you do wonder about it. So, I mean, that's certainly worth watching. I think they feel like they probably still need a fourth receiver. Um, you know, KJ Osborne certainly has made himself the number three, but especially when you're going to play three wide receivers and when Adam Thielen's had some nagging injuries, you do need more people to contribute there, whether it's Jalen Naylor, whether it's Amir Smith-Marset, uh, whether it's Albert Wilson coming in here. So I, I think that move is probably with an eye toward, hey, we need a little bit more depth, especially if we are worried about Smith-Marset in any capacity. And I think by training camp, this will, at least at this point, looks like it won't be a huge issue. That's the way they're talking about it. But yeah, it's certainly worth keeping that in mind, I think. Now, KJ Osborne's interesting guy now that you brought him up because I just I haven't squared in my mind yet that he's a number three receiver yet. Just I just I, I just have it. I had a different impression of him. I know he's done things on the field now. How do you think they view him right now? Do you think they're as high on him as as you know as as his status as a number three might suggest? Yeah, I you know I do. I I think he proved a lot last year. He had a lot of big catches, and I I think what went with that was trust from cousins because we have seen cousins at times, you know, kind of lock on to certain receivers. And, you know, he talks about going where his reads take him, but he also, I think won't put balls in tight spots unless he trusts the guy he's throwing to. So we have seen the percentage of his targets over the last few years, whether it's Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, those two receivers have a fairly outsized share of Cousins' targets. 
as opposed to some quarterbacks who maybe spread the ball around a little bit more than he has. So I think the fact that Osborne got the number of targets he did, and especially on third downs, I think you saw some plays late in the season where he was looking for Osborne on third down, or at least was comfortable trusting him to make a play in a spot where they needed a first down. That tells me he has earned some some capital here. I, I do think that trust from Cousins goes a long way because without it, you don't get a lot of opportunities from him to perform. I, I do think that matters in terms of whether he'll trust you in that spot. And the fact that Osborne made some of those plays last season makes me think he has. A, I think the coaches have liked him. I, I think he's got a chance to have a larger role. Now we'll see. Is that 60 catches? I don't know if it's that. Is he turning into a, a big play guy every week? I, you know, I don't know. But he – you know, whether it was the deep catch in Arizona week two last year or a number of the plays kind of late in the season, I think he had the big one in Carolina too. Um, he showed up enough that I, I think he's here to stay. I don't think that was as much of a flash in the pan as we've maybe seen with, you know, your Alder of Robinson, the <laughs> kind of the one year flashes like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Last thought for you, Ben, before we go. I mean, we're kind of getting down to it here. You got mandatory mini camp, two days essentially on the field next week, and then they scatter until training camp. I mean, yeah. I don't know what, you know, two days next week, I'm sure they get more stuff done, but are they, are they going to get, they have time to get ready for the season. It feels like everything's <laughs> happening fast here. Yeah, it is. It is fast. It, it has been interesting with as late as the staff got installed and as much as they have minimized the time on field, I mean, they, they could have started the off season program a week earlier and they could have taken mini camp, I think a week later into the summer. So there has been, a more condensed schedule. There's certainly a confidence that they can get everything done that they need to, but we're not really going to know that until training camp or really probably until the preseason or even into the season. So I think they feel like they've maximized their time to the extent that they can. Um, you certainly could wonder if they could have used a little bit more, but the, this is part of the bet now. This is that we will give you guys the freedom to live your lives and have some time on your own, but we expect you to show up and make it worth our while to give you that much time. So it's going to be interesting to see. They've got three days next week, but I think the last day is like a team bonding thing. So they won't be on the field that Thursday. And then they're the, the, the off season break. Um, not unfortunately for a tired beat writer he's a week longer than it normally is. So, um, you know, we, we appreciate that too, but yeah, if they, if they don't do it, if they don't perform with it, then, those things can change fairly quickly. So the proof will be in the pudding here in the next couple of months. But yeah, I, I think at this point they are betting on, we can empower you. We can give you a little more latitude and make it worth our while. That certainly sounds a little bit different to me as well. Change, <laughs> a little bit. Change is uh change is the watchword here right now. Well, Ben, uh, good stuff. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll catch up soon. All right. That was good. Thanks, Mike. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with, Ben Gessling talking Vikings, little off-season stuff for them. Um, we'll have more of that on the Access Vikings podcast here later this afternoon as well. Ben and I and Andrew will get together and talk a little bit more in depth about what's going on this off-season. But I thought Ben's stuff was interesting, just talking about Kirk Cousins in particular and some of the autonomy that he is going to have this season um, in terms of you know being able to maybe, you know, have his say in the offense a little bit more, maybe make some certain reads, change things like that. I don't know if that's a great idea, but I think that's something you have to do in order to find out if this is a long-term fit for you with Kevin O'Connell. Kevin O'Connell needs to know 
can I trust this guy? You know, do we want him for more than just this year and maybe next year? Could this guy in this system be the guy that you want him to be? And you know, in order to do that, you have to find out what his true potential is. Again, eleventh season, I think we kind of know, but maybe a different fit, a different system, a different level of autonomy and authority changes some of that narrative with Kirk Cousins. But even if it doesn't, you need to find that out so you can know what his long-term future is. Speaking of long-term future, for a while now, the long-term future for the Lynx has been very good. Right now, the prognosis is not great. Two and eight, another loss for the Lynx on uh, on Wednesday. Uh, turnovers told the story in this game. They lost to Atlanta, eighty-four seventy-six. Um, you know, so that's that's tough. That's uh, you know, they had twenty-six turnovers. They got twenty rebounds from Sylvia Fowles. Not enough. Um, you know, Atlanta playing well this year. They're six and three. They're they're a surprisingly good team this year. But you know, the Lynx kind of swapping places with them, maybe in the you know in in the standings and, and things like that. So two and eight right now. Um, you know, they rallied a few times, but they've got to be able to you know to play better than that. This is just not uh, this is just not the Lynx team that we're used to seeing right now. And I don't know if that's going to be the case for the rest of the season. Again. It, there's still season left. They did pull out of this skid last year, but man, two and eight feels different this year. It feels like this is going to be a transition year. And again, a lot of reasons why this is happening. Um, Nafisa Collier not on the court and some of their off-season transactions not working out maybe the way they thought it would, but we'll see. They got to kind of build, rebuild a, f- a foundation for 2023, get this thing going the right way because it sure feels right now like their streak of making the playoffs is going to end at 11 this season. Let us end with the cooler and the tragic story I referenced at the start of the show. Marion Barber the third, former Gophers great running back, uh, played primarily in the pr- in the NFL for Dallas, found dead in. Uh, Dallas area at age uh, 38, would have been 39 in just a little over a week. Um, Reading from the Star Tribune story, Randy Johnson, Frisco police um, officers responded to a welfare concern on Wednesday at at, uh, what was thought to be Barber's apartment, and he was found dead there. No cause of death listed. I'll get back to that in a minute. I don't want to speculate but I do have a, a little bit of a concern with the statement released by the Cowboys. But I want to get to who Marion Barber was first. Um, Glenn Mason, former Gophers coach, uh, quoted in Randy Johnson's story, Marion Barber was a great running back for the University of Minnesota. Everybody saw that. I saw it firsthand every day. When I heard this, I couldn't get it out of my mind what a great kid he was. He always had a smile on his face. Everything was upbeat. Everything was positive. He played for me for four years, never gave me a problem, not one. He was a delight to be around. Mason later saying, um, you know, he was very close to Lawrence Maroney. There were characters to be around them, was a laugh a minute. And, uh, you know, one of the other things he said, let me just find it here really quick. It was, uh, you know, says, I really do feel like I've lost a family member. That's how this, you know, Marion Barber was such a integral part of, kind of the resurgence of the Gophers under Mason, that great team in 2003 that unfortunately, you know, couldn't get over the hump in that Michigan game. You still go back to up 28-7. He had such a magnificent game in that game. 
couldn't quite, you know, they couldn't quite finish that off with Michigan's furious rally and that comeback. But, you know, Marion Barber is such a talented player, such a reason. Um, I think this was referenced by, by PJ Fleck in his statement, you know, such a reason that a lot of people are Gophers fans these days. Now, the sad part is he's been having problems ever since retirement. And here's the statement from the Dallas Cowboys that I, you know, that I have to kind of pause at for just a minute. And you know, I don't think it's intentional, and maybe I'm just reading this the wrong way, but here, here's the statement from the Dallas Cowboys. said, um, heartbroken by the tragic death of Marion Barber III, Marion was an old-school, hard-nosed football player who ran with the will to win every down. Um, and obviously it goes on to say he had passion for the game, love for his coaches and teammates. Our hearts go out to Marion's family and friends during this difficult time. Now, we will find out probably more in the days and weeks to come about what exactly happened, what what was the cause of death, what you know, what would his life had become after football. Um, but I just I can't help but wonder how his hard hitting style, his old school hard nosed style, which he was absolutely known for. Um, how how that impacted his post football career. So for you know for for Dallas to put out that statement, kind of you know I don't think I don't think we can ignore the cause and effect in how he played and perhaps how he died. And I I, I don't want to speculate. I don't want to get too deep into that. It just worries me that we're glorifying the way he played when that might have been part of what ultimately led to his undoing. And again, we'll learn more about this as time goes on. Right now, the thing to do is mourn this loss. He was a great player. He was a great person. And this is just a tragedy for anybody involved. That will do it for today. I uh, should be talking a lot about the Twins on Friday show. Lavelle E. Neal III will join me on that show, Star Tribune columnist. Also get into a little bit of stuff about Timberwolves and whether or not a new arena, a new place to play, is on the horizon for them. Hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll see you again on Friday.